Good morning, everybody. You can find your seats and uh, glad you're here. School's getting ready to start back. And so, um, yeah, we're uh, excited about that around here. Again, we're in our series through the book of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy 33. We finish up today. So this is the last uh, of our series. We've been working through the book of Deuteronomy all summer. And then we'll be starting the book of Luke next week. And, um, and so I would encourage you to kind of start reading through the book of Luke, preparing, getting your heart ready for what God might have uh, to speak to you as we go through the book of Luke in the New Testament. Um, and again, you can always go to the live page to, to find the scriptures. And our series through Deuteronomy, as we've talked about all summer, um, is Deuteronomy. Yahweh is giving you. Yahweh is the name of God that, that he gave himself. It's the Hebrew. And he, he said, I'm giving you this. You don't earn it, you don't get it, and that's kind of how we're going to wrap up the series uh, this week, is really looking at that, because that's kind of the theme of the book of Deuteronomy, is it's, it's, it's the law, Deuteronomy is called the book of the law, but, but the law, the book of the law that Deuteronomy is, it, it's not, it's a gift. God is giving the gift of the knowledge about him to his people. It's a gift. He's saying, here, here, not everybody has this. I'm, I'm allowing you to see me and see who I am and see the purpose of the world that you live in in a way that, that most reject and most won't listen. But I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity to know me personally. And it's a gift. It, it, they didn't earn it. We've been reading about it. I mean, their favorite name that Moses has for the people of God and that God even calls his own people is they're stiff-necked. They're a bunch of stiff-necked people. They're just... I refuse. I'm not, you're not going to tell me what to do. That's, that's really us too, if we're honest. That's kind of our heart a lot of times. And so as we look and we finish up the series, what's interesting is what God leaves his people with. Remember, we're at the end of the book. Moses is getting ready to die. He's giving his last words before he climbs a mountain and dies. I mean, this is it. For him. He, he has been leading God's people. He has been faithful. We're going to see that in a second. And these are the last words of a dying man to people that he has given his entire life to. He's given everything to. He has leveraged his family. He's leveraged his, his time. He's leveraged everything he has to pour everything he can into these people. And he's coming to the end. These people are going to be sent out without him. And isn't that kind of what we do in our culture? We send our kids out. My kids are gone. They're, they're being sent out. I'm not with them. It's time for you to go. And hopefully you'll cherish the things you've been taught and you'll hold to the things that are true. And that's kind of where we find Moses. And this week we're going to look at a promise. That what Moses really reminds us and reminds the people of God as you get to the end of Deuteronomy is he says you have to remember God's promise. That God gives promises to his people. What God says he does. He's not like us. We say one thing and then we change our mind and we do something else and then we go back and say well I should have done and all that. that. God doesn't do that. He is consistent for thousands of years on his message of what he's going to do and how it's going to go down. And we get to either choose to believe the promises that he gives us, or we get to say, forget it. I don't believe that you've given me that promise. I'm not going to trust in that, that you give. And that's exactly where we find Moses, is Moses is desperately pleading. Because if you remember, the chapters before this, 
Moses was reminding the people, and God told Moses, the people are going to go into the promised land, and it's not going to be any better than it is for Joshua, who's going to take over for Moses, than it is for you. They're going to rebel, they're going to do the same stupid things, and I'm going to still be the same God who extends grace and love and forgiveness and calls them back into right relationship with me and reminds them of what's good in my law and how they've been created and how I want them to live their lives. And that would have been very sad for Moses to think I've given 40 years to these people. And then God looks at him and says, yeah, Moses, it's, they're going to rebel. You know, we looked at last week or a couple of weeks ago, too, that that might have been a little encouraging as well, right? Like, you think Joshua's going to get it better. He's going to, I don't get to go into the promised land, which we'll look at, but, but Joshua does, and he's going to have it better than me. And, man, that's a bummer. And God's like, oh, no, 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 Joshua's going to have it just as bad as you had it with these people, you know? And that could have been both heartbreaking and encouraging at the same time. Like, wow, I, I want them to be better, though. I want them to excel, but, man, that leaves us in this place that many of us find ourselves. I want to be better, but I'm not. And, and I rebel, but I don't want to. And, and there's this war going on. So let's dive in. 33, verse 1. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, gave the Israelites before his death. This is the blessing. He's giving a final blessing. He just talked about all the curses. If you remember in the previous couple of chapters, he reminded them, if you don't do what God says, here's what's coming down on your head. And it is ugly and it's awful. I mean, when you read those chapters beforehand, I mean, he is just saying things that are like, oh my goodness. Talks about like people eating their own children, which actually happened in Israel's history, by the way. Because they didn't listen to God, they ended up being completely, God took his hands off of them, an army came in, laid siege, and they were so rebellious and so prideful, they'd rather eat their children than surrender to Babylon, and they did that. It's recorded history. It's awful. And Moses said, that's what's going to happen with you if you don't really embrace the word of God. But now, as his final words come, God says, I don't want to just leave them there, Moses, I want you to have the opportunity to give them a blessing. You've, you've told them the truth. You've laid it out. You said, this is what's going to come, but I want you to, to leave giving a blessing. And isn't that our desire in relationships, that we don't leave with a curse, but there's some way we can find a blessing? He said, the Lord came from Sinai, this is what Moses said, and appeared to them from Seir. He shone on them from Mount Paran and came with 10,000 holy ones with lightning from his hands for them. Indeed, he loves the people. Let me ask you this morning. Do you believe that God truly loves you? Not, not you can get in good with God. Not he tolerates you. Not like, I just have to do what's right so he doesn't like send a lightning bolt and kill me. No, no, no. Like, do, do you really believe that there is a God who desires a real relationship with human beings and desires to have a love relationship with you. And here's the key, a love relationship with you that's honest enough to tell you the truth. That's honest enough to look at you when you're off kilter, when you're not going the way you should, and look at you and say, because I love you, I'm telling you, don't do this. Like, like do you believe that? Because that's what Moses is saying here. He's like, he loves his people. He didn't have to create us. He didn't have to call out a special group of people. He didn't have to give a promise to Abraham. 
in the Old Testament. He didn't have to extend that promise to Isaac, Abraham's son in the Old Testament. He didn't have to extend that promise to Jacob. He didn't have to extend that promise to Jacob's 12 sons. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. And yet he did it. Why? Because he desires for his love to be on display and show us how the way we love doesn't work. That his love is greater than the kind of love we try to do because our love really isn't love, it's manipulation. And he's like, I just give it to you straight. Here's my word, here's what's true, I'm laying it down, I'm God. I'm trying to give this to you. And then he goes on and he says, all your holy ones are in your hand. <laughs> like, God's desire is, is, is just like a dad holding a newborn. Like, in, wow, I don't know if you... When, for those of you who are parents, or maybe if you've ever held a brother or sister, or even if you've, you know, a, a, new, a new baby, but it's that, it's that moment where it's like, wow, we created this thing. Like, and then the moment of panic, too. Like, they're going to make me take this home, and I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, right? And you lay up at night, and, and then sleeping in the bassinet next to you, and you're like, are they breathing? You know, like you're panicking. By child three, you're like, they're fine. They're down the hallway. It's good. Turn the monitor off. It's noisy. Like, we, we hope they survive, right? But that first child, it's like you hold them in your hands, right? It's like that concept that we have of that awe comes from the heart of God. It's who he is as creator and as father in a relationship. It's not an accident. It doesn't just like come from instinct. It comes from a real God who's done something unique to call people into relationship with him. And he says, they're in your hands. He says, those, those people that have chosen to say that, that you are Father, that you are holy, that have chosen to surrender their lives to you, God says, I've got you. I've got you. And I, and I want you to know that. You don't have to wander off. You don't have to try to get away. I know I'm going to say some hard things to you. You're going to do some stupid things, but I'm, I love you. I want to forgive you. I want to... I want to have a relationship with you. And he says, and they assemble at your feet. Right? So you have the baby, and then they grow up, and it's like, it's so wonderful when the kids come to meet you when you come home at the door, right? I mean, sometimes it's not because you're tired, and you're like, oh, they're coming at me, right? But, but there's something special about you're tired, and your kids, hi, Dad, hi, Mom. Like, they're just so glad to see you. And there's something awful when you walk in, and they're like, and they look away from you. You're like, really? Like, I provide the home and your bed, and you're just like, yeah, whatever. You know, that's like, oh, no. It's the same thing. God says how awesome it is when there's this relationship of, of a dad and a son or a mom and a child who, who want to just connect with each other, want to sit at each other's feet, play a game, wrestle around. He says, each receives your words. Let me ask you, how do you receive God's word? You know, do you look at this as some ancient book that doesn't mean anything anymore? And these aren't really God's words, just some crazy people wrote it down and Moses didn't know what he was talking about. And other people have other scriptures and their religions and how do I know this is true? And maybe that's the way you view scripture, but I'm telling you, the, the Bible is the most unique book on the face of the planet. There's been no book more criticized, written on multiple continents by multiple authors. It is entirely accurate. It's amazing how accurate it is. And yeah, there are people who say, well, what about all the contradictions? You know, what's amazing to me is people will say that and then they can't point any out most of the time. And those that can point them out, 
they kind of do lazy theology. They point things out. They're like, well, that's not a contradiction if you look at the whole entirety of what it's talking about. You're just taking a little verse and making a contradiction. I mean, it's, love, it's like what we love to do in our culture today, right? Make montages and videos of taking words that people have said and then smashing them together and making it look like they said those words. You ever seen one of those videos? Wow, I can't believe they said that. Completely out of context. They took this statement, this statement, this statement, and they smashed them all together, and they video edited it so it sounded like they said it. God's word is accurate and true, and he's consistent on his promises from his word. And he says, each one receives it. Listen, if, if, if you are a, a child of God and you know who he is, you want to listen. Because you know he loves you, you know he wants the best for you, and so you want to tune in, not be like, oh, it's the Bible, what's God going to say today? That's, that's the attitude of a parent or even a child that just doesn't care. God's word is amazing, and, and, and when you tune into it, he'll say things that if you just open your heart that you'll be amazed by, like, I love you, and I want to hold you in my hands. Moses gives us instruction, or gave us instruction, a possession for the assembly of Jacob, Jacob being Jacob's children, the 12 tribes who are right now on the edge of the promised land, the book of Exodus. They've been delivered from slavery. They've been wandering around 40 years because they rebelled. And now they're on the edge of the promised land, getting ready to go in. And he says, Moses gave us instruction, a possession for the assembly. It's a possession. It's, it's like the most prized possession. Let me ask you, what's your most prized possession? You don't have to say it out loud. Just think to yourself, what's your most prized possession? And God is saying, I want my words and the relationship that comes with knowing my word to be your most prized possession. That it trumps everything else. It's above everything else. That you cherish it. That you are in awe of it. I mean, there are some times when I am in awe of just holding God's word. Not like it's an idol, but just like the people that died so that it could be translated into a language we can understand because the church was corrupt at one time and they didn't want the Bible translated into a language that people could understand because they knew that the leaders of that day, they knew that they would figure out they'd been lying to them. So I don't want the people to read their Bible because then they'll tell me, it's, look here, and I don't want them to tell me that. And the people that William Tyndall was burned at the stake to try to translate the Bible into a language that we could read. People gave their lives because they believed it was where life really was and that these were the promises and instructions of God for us. It says, so he became a king in Jeshurun when the leaders of the people gathered with the tribes of Israel. He being God himself became a king, not just Moses. That God became a king in Jeshurun. That, that, that God said, I, I want to be your leader. I want to be your benevolent king who loves you and gives to you and provides for you and protects you. See, I've said this the last several weeks, but you realize there's no democracy or republic in heaven. We don't get to vote. <laughs> there's not a religion on the world that believes you're going to get to vote when you meet their God. They don't. When you are finally in the presence of whatever being is there and you realize he's all-powerful and all-knowing and all-supreme, you don't get a vote. It's like, whoa, and that's it. And you better be ready because, to meet whatever being that is and you better have figured out which one it is. 
Because there's a lot of deception that's out there. And that's exactly what he says here. We're going to love having a benevolent monarch in heaven. When we get to heaven someday, for those of us who have a relationship with God through his son, through the provision that he's provided, when we get to heaven one day, it is going to be amazing to say, there's our king, our leader, who's better than any leader we've ever had, better than any president we can elect, thank goodness. (laughs) Right? Like he... He's better than, we are going to be in awe of that. And he's going to want to just be benevolent back to us. The Bible says in Revelation that that the city gates are going to be open all the time. He doesn't close his gates off. He doesn't need to be protected. It's come and go to be in relationship with me. It's amazing when you think about it. And what a promise that Moses is giving to the people. He's saying, look, if you'll believe this about God, if you'll have a relationship with him, if you'll understand his word, these are the promises that you can trust and know God has for you. And then what Moses does is Moses then takes the promises God gave to the 12 tribes of Israel, and Moses wants to remind them. You've got to remember, he just gave a bunch of curses, saying it's going to be bad, here's what's going to happen. And now he gives them some quick promises. These are the sons of Jacob. These were the ones that were promised. These are the ones that when they go into the Holy Land, the land is divided up so they get which portion. And Moses has already communicated which portion that they're going to get. That God's already given it to you. You just have to respond. And that's the same with us. God has already given everything to us through his son, Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice. All we have to do is respond to it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to... like try to get it. We just have to go and obey. And that's exactly what happens. And Moses reminds them. He says, you know, I gave you a lot of hard teaching. And I know that your father Jacob told you about some curses because he's cursed some of his sons. But he said, here are the blessings. He said, let Reuben live and not die, though his people become few. You see, Reuben's great sin is he lost his birthright. He was the firstborn and he lost his birthright. And he always struggled with that. When you read about Reuben in scripture, it was like he was always trying to earn his dad's favor back all the time because he knew he had lost it. And Moses looks at him and says, you won't die, Reuben. Your line's going to continue. It's not the end of you. You still don't get to be in the promised position. You still don't get to be the the chosen son. You you gave your birthright away, but you're going to live and your descendants will live. There's still life for you. God still loves you. There's consequences, but he still loves you, Reuben. Man, that's an incredible message. And he said about Judah, Lord, hear Judah's cry and bring him to his people. He fights for his cause with his own hands, but may you be a help against his foe. Judah was the one that Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah was the warlike son. He was the one that was always going to battle. He's the one that we call is going to be the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is going to come back and go to war on behalf of his people. But here it says, hear Judah's cry, his prayer. Hear Judah's prayer and bring him to his people. He fights for his cause with his own hands, but may you be a help against his foes. He says, Judah looks like this mighty battle, whatever, but it's not really about warfare. It's about Judah, you're going to cry out to God, you're going to pray to him, and he's going to hear you. God wants to hear you. Even though you messed up, Judah, if you remember, Judah was the one that messed up big time. Got his own daughter-in-law pregnant. Then tried to deceive everybody. It was a mess. 
He was the one that didn't stand up, but then he finally stood up for Benjamin and laid down his life, said, I'll, I'll take his place. What a mess Judah was. He goes on, he says, he said about Levi, Levi, the tribe of Levi, these were the priests. The priesthood comes from Levi, and it says, your Thuman and your Ermin belong to the, your faithful one. You tested him at Manasseh and contended with him at the waters of Meribeth. He said about his father and mother, I do not regard them. In other words, Levi was so dedicated to serving God that he said, I'm, I'm, God's above mom and dad. God is first priority. It goes on and it says, um, I do not regard them. He disregarded his brothers and did not acknowledge his sons, for they kept your word and maintained your covenant. This is talking about when they came out and they were worshiping the golden calf, and God said, you, there's got to be judgment. And Levi was the first one. The tribe of Levi said, we will judge. We'll do it. And they were willing to go to battle with their own family over their sin instead of saying, hey, we just need to keep the peace. We just try to keep everybody happy. I don't know if we should do this, Moses. They were like, no, this is wrong. It's not according to God's promises. It's not according to God's word, and we have to take a stand. And, and, and Moses is saying, you did a good job. Like, thank you for doing that. The Thuman and the Ermin were the way that um, they would figure out God's will. There were these stones they would cast to try to figure out what God was saying. It wasn't like a magic eight ball. It wasn't like shake and, you know, you get. That's not what this was. Because the Thuman and the Ermin didn't work if they weren't holy. Right? It became just a simple magic eight ball and you just made up whatever you, answer you wanted. The, the, the Thuman and the Ermin worked when they were holy and listening to God. They will teach you your ordinances to Jacob and your instruction to Israel. They will set increase before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. The Lord bless his possessions and accept the work of his hands. Smash the loins of his adversaries and enemies so they cannot rise again. I don't know, as I was reading this, the word smash the loins, if you're a guy, that's exactly what that verse means. God's like, they're not going to get up. Because, see, Levi didn't have an inheritance. He didn't get a part of the land. Levi was in with the other tribes, and they had to have the sanctuary cities that they took care of, and they were responsible to serve all their brothers in the priesthood. And so he's looking at them and saying, I know it seems like you don't get as much as everybody else, and you don't have as much. I'm telling you, I'm with you. And I'm going to fight on your behalf. And I want to speak through you. Above all, a teacher of God's truth has to be fearless and impartial. And that's what Levi was. And Moses says, thank you for doing that. You're going to have a blessing from that. He goes on and he says about Benjamin. Benjamin was the youngest of all Jacob's sons to his wife, Rachel. Rachel had Benjamin and died. Benjamin was the child that, that literally killed his mother and killed Jacob's favorite wife. And it says, he said about Benjamin, the Lord's beloved rests securely on him. He shields him all day long and he rests on his shoulders. You see, Benjamin had two names. When he was born, his mother named him Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow, because she knew she was dying. But his father, Jacob, named him Ben-Yamin, son of my right hand. You see, Jesus is the picture of Benjamin. Jesus is the man of sorrows who came to die on behalf of people who don't deserve us, and as a result, he sits at the right hand of God the Father. 
Benjamin is the picture of the shoulder blades that holds it all together. It's a picture of Jesus himself. And he says, Ben, I, I know that it's, it's, you killed your mom. You've got to live with the fact your mother died having birth to you. That's a hard thing to live with. But he said, remember, your mom was in sorrows, but, but your, your father called you son of your right hand, and both names were to be prophetic. He looks at Joseph. May his land be blessed by the Lord with the dew of heaven's bounty and the watery depths that lie beneath, with a bountiful harvest from the sun, the abundant yield of the seasons, with the best products of the ancient mountains and the bounty of the eternal hills, with the choice gifts of the land and everything in it, and with the favor of him who appeared in the burning bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph, the crown of the prince of his brothers. His firstborn bull has splendor and uh, horns like these of a wild ox. He gores all the peoples with them to the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim and such are the thousands of Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh were Joseph's sons that, that were given the promise and were given the land, that they were both included because Joseph was the son that served God faithfully even though his brothers sold him into slavery. You think you have it bad in your family? Did your brothers sell you out? They sell you to a caravan of people? They traffic you? Because they did Joseph. That's exactly, and Joseph continued to be faithful to God all the way through it. To continue to do what was right, do the right thing, even though he got nothing but persecution and suffering because of it. And he believed a promise. He chose to forgive his brothers when they came to him. Instead of he had the right to kill them, he chose to forgive them and then bless them and say, you come live with me. I'll provide for you. I'll help you. He is the picture of blessing. That's why God says, of course this is the blessing you're going to have because you're the picture of blessing. Such a beautiful thing that Moses says. And then he says about Zebulun, rejoice Zebulun in your journeys and Issachar in your tents. They summon the peoples to a mountain. They offer acceptable sacrifices for they draw from the wealth of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. I love this. He says to Zebulun, you're going to journey. You're going to be the journeyer. You're going to go. You're going to go. And then he looks at Issachar and he says, you're going to stay. <laughs> you're going to stay. Zebulun's going to be out doing great things and traveling and going all over and you get to stay home. Right? You ever see that on Facebook and get discouraged? You know, you look at your friends who seem like they have the wonderful life and they're traveling the world and then you look at your life and you're like, still here. Still got stuff to do in my house. Got a car I need to fix. Not living the good life. Not living the dream here. Welcome to Issachar. <laughs> like, like, like he, say, he says, no, it's a blessing to be able to go if that's what God wants you to do. And it's a blessing to stay if that's what God calls you to do. And both of you will embrace that. Praise the Lord. You're blessed whether you go or whether you stay because God's with you. That's what he's telling them. And he looks at him and he says, man, you can know that he's going to provide. He says about Gad, the one who enlarges Gad's territory will be blessed. He lies down like a lion and tears off an arm or even a head. He chose the best part for himself because of a ruler's portion was assigned there for him. He came with the leaders of the people. He carried out the Lord's justice and his ordinances for Israel. He looks at Gad and he's like, man, this guy, he, he sold out for me. And I want you to know you're, you're going to be sold out. You can be sold out for God and God is going to bless you. He looks to Dan, and he says about Dan, Dan is a young lion leaping out of Basham. It's just both of them called lions. They're these, these two lions, like, 
rah, like this, if you're a young kid and you're like, you're a lion, I mean, you're, yeah, I am, like that's, everybody, you know, it's just exciting. He's like, yeah, that's, I want to use you to enlarge the kingdom that I'm building. How awesome a promise. He says to Naphtali, Naphtali, enjoying approval, full of the Lord's blessing, take possession of the west and the south. He said about Asher, may Asher be the most blessed of the sons, may he be the most favored among his brothers, and dip his foot into olive oil. May the bolts of your gate be iron and bronze, and your strength last as long as you live. What, what, a, what a promise. Now, Tally, be, be satisfied fully and take possession of the promises of God because they're good. He looks at Asher and he's like, Asher, I know it seems like you're like the other son nobody talks about, but I'm telling you, I want, I want to use you. I want to raise you up. I've got something important for you. And, and you're going you're gonna to dip your foot into the olive oil. You're going to be like the, the holiness and the anointing of God going out onto people. Like these are incredible promises that he gives to his people. And then as Moses figures up, he leaves out one son, Simeon. One son doesn't get a promise. Lots of scholars argue about why not. Is it because of something Simeon did and what happened? And there's, there's a lot of discussion over why is one of the 12 not given a specific blessing? Well, number one, all of them are given the general blessing of God if they respond to him. But number two, there was one even among Jesus' 12 that betrayed him and had no blessing. It was Judas. And the Old Testament is a promised picture of the New Testament. And there's one son left out because there was one son that was going to choose to betray God and not listen. And not embrace the promise that God had. And so, with all the warnings that Moses gave, they didn't listen. And with all the warnings that Jesus gave Judas, he would not listen. And Judas hung himself, killed himself because of his misery, because he couldn't deal and believe that God could love him still and that he could be forgiven, and that there was a God of grace that offered forgiveness to him and he couldn't take what he had done and he couldn't come to God and repent. And as a result, he ended his own life. And we see that happening in our culture all the time. At the end of this, there is none like the God of Jeshurun. Jeshurun just means the people of God. There's no God like the people of God, like, like his, their God. It's amazing. And then it says, who rides the heavens to your aid. Rides the heavens. You ever felt like God's just not there? Where's he at in the midst of this? Listen, there's some terrible, awful things that happen in this world. There are awful things that have happened to me in my past where you wonder, God, where were you? What happened? What is going on? And God says, I haven't abandoned you. I want to ride to your aid. The clouds of his majesty, the God of old is your dwelling place. Let me ask you, what do you want to be your dwelling place? See, we all have a place we want to dwell. We have these dreams. We want to retire and go to the beach. I want my own island. I want the house and the picket fence, and this is my dwelling place, Right? It says, the God of old is your dwelling place. You know, I, I'm always amazed at people that say, well, don't you want to go to heaven? If you just accept Jesus, you can go to heaven. I don't like that very well. Because here's why. I'm trying to get you to go to a place instead of fall in love with a person. That's just wrong. That's like me trying to find a wife saying, hey, I got a great house, got a great car, got everything. You want to be my honey? 
What? No. Like, that's not how it works. I don't even know you. Oh, come on. I'm good. We're good. Like, no, it's having a relationship. And yet we're going around saying, don't you want to go to heaven? Don't you want to go to heaven? Well, who's in heaven? What's it going to be like? I don't know if I want to go there. He says God's dwelling is wherever he is. Wherever he is, is his dwelling. That's why in the New Testament, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, I'm present. It's not about a place you're trying to get to. It's about a presence you believe is present, the God of the universe. And if you don't believe that now, you're not going to believe it when you get there. If you're rejecting that now and you're rejecting his offer of his presence and to be with you now, you're not going to want it when you get there. And he offers this, he says, and underneath the everlasting arms that God wants to gather us like children under, come here, come here, you kids. Like, that's the picture Moses is giving. But the picture they have is a God of judgment who's constantly getting them and he doesn't listen to us and he doesn't give us what we want. And we wanted, we, we wanted meat in the wilderness and then he gave us so much meat we were puking it, you know, because he gave them so much quail because they were complaining about manna. He's like, that. He's a mean God. No, no, that, that's not him. He's just trying to teach you a lesson because you don't listen. You're stubborn. He goes on, he says, he drives out the enemy before you and commands destroy. Do you understand how many times in your life that God has delivered you from things that you probably never even saw coming? It's a miracle that any of us are alive. Any of us. I mean, think of the number of times you could have died from something. I mean, Seriously. Stupid things you did. I mean, come on, blowing stuff up. I mean, you know, jumping off things, driving way too fast in a car. You know, I mean, you name it. There are a series of of tragic events that should have happened to you at some point in your past. And for some reason, it didn't happen. God says, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm, I'm trying to show you that I'm constantly going before you. He goes on, he says, so Israel dwells securely. Jacob lives untroubled in the land of grain and new wine. Even his skies drip with dew. How happy you are, Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. I love that word. He says, not a people who saves themselves, not a mighty people, but, but a people that recognize that there is no salvation if, if, he doesn't, if God doesn't show up. We're done. If he doesn't save us, we're in trouble. There's nothing we can do. We have to throw ourselves at his mercy. The the nations we're going into are too big. The problems in America are too big. The problems in the world are too big. If he doesn't save us, we're done. We can't fix it. Can we make little impacts here and there? Sure, but it's temporary. You can go drill all the wells overseas you want to drill. I'm not against it. We've participated in helping to drill wells for people who don't have water. Do you know what military, bad militaries do in those countries when they come in and take over? They poison or they guard the well and use it as a tool to make people recant their faith. Look, I made a well. Yeah, you just made a war. Now there's a water source for people to fight over. And now the army's going to come in and fight and kill those people for their water. Should you have not made the well? No. You do good things for good people. You try to do it. But we don't understand how wicked we are and how desperate we are to be saved. We think we can solve things, and normally when we try to solve things, we just make things worse if God's not in the midst of it all. And I love this. He says, you did nothing. You didn't do this. God chose to save you based on his promise. He did it. 
He is the shield that protects you, the sword you boast in. Your enemies will cringe before you and you will tread on their backs. I love that. And then we get to chapter 34. Here's what it says. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pixah, which faces Jericho. Jericho, remember Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. It's the first nation, the first city they go into battle and they march around the city seven times. Great battle plan. Expose yourself, march around the city, scream and sing songs and then go sit down and then do it seven days and on the seventh day, then God's just gonna show up and win. The worst battle plan ever. I mean, absolutely horrible. And it worked because God was in it. He saved them, he delivered them. And so literally, he he shows them this. He goes, look, and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the land of Judah, all the things he just said blessings over, God is showing him as far as the Mediterranean, the Negev, and the region from the valley of Jericho, the city of, 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 of Palms, as far as Zoar. The Lord then said to him, this is the land I promised. This isn't about you. I promised this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm going to do it. Because I promised them. And whether you want to do it or not, or you want to respond to it or not, i got a promise to keep. And he says, I will give it to your descendants. He told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you don't get to see it, but I'll give it to your descendants. Moses is getting ready to be buried by God. He's going to die because of a sin he committed. And he's looking at them and he's saying, Moses, you're in good company right now. I know you get to see the promise and you're like, why can't I get some of that? Why can't I go there? Why can't I do this? Why can't, I know you're probably looking and seeing all of that, Moses. But remember, you're in good company because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't get to go into the land either. And I have been faithful to them. That's why you're here today. And that's why those people are here and they're getting ready to go in with Joshua. Do you believe me, Moses, that I can keep my promise? Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready to die. Because I believe that you'll keep your promise, that you'll give new life to me, just like you did Abraham, just like you did Isaac, just like you did Jacob, because you are a God of promises. And that's what Moses is looking at in this moment. And he says, I've let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross into it. I think most of us, at least for me, when I read that, I think, why not just not let me see it? (laughs) Could you just not let me see it? I'd rather just not know, right, than know that I don't get to go into the beautiful promised land. But see, God lets Moses see it because he's asking him a simple question. He's like, are you as faithful as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they believe that it's for somebody else and not for you and you're willing to live your life for me knowing you're not going to get what you want? Because that's the message of the gospel. Actually, that's the message of my son Jesus. He came to earth and didn't get anything he deserved. He got everything he didn't deserve. And then he came back to life to offer it to us. It's an amazing testimony of the goodness of God. And he says, you won't cross into it. You see, and Moses didn't worship the people. He didn't look at the descendants and say, I got to keep them happy. I got to please them. Maybe they'll be better than me and they can get this land. He was bluntly honest with them. He, he told them what it was. He didn't worship his descendants and his family. He said, you guys, you got to be faithful like these guys, like I've been faithful. That's all you got. That's what you have to do. You have to trust God for his salvation. In Numbers 12:1, it says this, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married. For he married a Cushite woman. They said, Do not, does not the Lord speak only through Moses? 
Does he not also speak through us? And the Lord heard it. Moses was a, look at this. Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land, but these are the things that God says about Moses. God said, because you struck the rock instead of speaking to it, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, because Moses committed one sin in 40 years, he can't go into the promised land. Literally, the only sin we have ever recorded in Scripture that Moses committed after he saw the burning bush, surrendered his life to God, and went on the path of salvation with God, trusting him for his promises, he committed one sin, one, and doesn't get to go to the promised land. Because he hit a rock instead of speaking to it. All of us here would be angry with that. We wouldn't tolerate that. We would fight God on that. How dare you judge me? How dare you do? I mean, we would, God, we have no record of Moses ever arguing with God about his judgment. Not once does Moses argue with God and say, you're not just, you're terrible. You gotta let me go in. I've done all these good things. My good have definitely outweighed my bad. I did one bad. (laughs) I got all these goods that should outweigh my bad. God's like, that's not how it works with me. You have to, the price has to be paid. There are consequences. And he looks, and look at this. God says, Moses was a very humble man, more than any man on the face of the earth. Okay, that's serious. God's saying he's the most humble man on the face of the planet. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, uh, Aaron and Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud, stood at the entrance of the tent, and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them came forward, he said, listen to what I say. Look at what God says about Moses. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision, but I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Because he spoke against, Miriam and Aaron were speaking against Moses' counsel. Who does he think he is? And he's like, You have no idea who you're speaking against. Moses has been speaking for me all along. One time he made a mistake. The rest of the time he is speaking on my behalf. So why were you not afraid to speak against him? The Lord's anger burned against them and God left. And immediately Miriam is struck with leprosy. As soon as she leaves the temple, she is covered in leprosy. And Moses cries out for her salvation. He doesn't go, ha, take that. Don't criticize my wife. It's not what Moses does. Moses is so concerned for Miriam, he cries out on her behalf. And God spares her. She has to go live outside the camp until she's declared clean, but he spares her life. And Aaron repents. See, that's the picture that we have, and that's why Deuteronomy 3, 4 says, the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a promise. I'll give it to your descendants. I've let you see it, but you will not cross into it. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. He climbed the mountain and he died. As the Lord had said, he buried him in the valley in the land of the Moab facing Beth Peor. And no one to this day knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak. His vitality had not left him. He still had it going on at 120. Then the days of weeping and mourning Then the Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, and the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. As we wrap up, you've got to understand this. 
Moses was so righteous and so humble that he was willing to embrace all the promises of God, even the negative ones. Even the promise that said, you're going to die in Moab on a mountain and I'm going to bury you. Moses embraced that curse and that promise as much as he embraced the love of God, the compassion of God, and the reality of his God. He embraced the full character of his God, his justice, his love, his forgiveness, the whole ball of wax. He embraced it all. This is what the New Testament says, just so you, well, Find out what happened. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. This is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. No prophet had risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled. Or I'm sorry, this is still to run. He was unparalleled for the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to the land, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. You can't speak better about someone, and he still doesn't get to go to the promised land. God, God, God's the one speaking this about Moses. He's saying, look at how great he is, and you got everybody shaking their head. Then why doesn't he get to go to the promised land? Because you can't earn your right to get in. You have to trust me. And Moses trusts me. He knows I said you're not going, but I promised him he'll still be there with his fathers, which means Moses is trusting in the ultimate promised land of heaven, not the earthly promised land that they're going to get temporarily. Moses knows that. He trusts that promise. So he says, I'm in. You can resurrect. I know you can. And so Moses is in on this. The New Testament says this. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the entire law, that's the whole Old Testament, that's what we're talking about, that's what Moses wrote down, yet fails in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. If you say, well, I'm not that bad of a person, I'm not a sinner, have you ever lied? Then you're a liar. Have you ever thought about you just want to hurt someone, you want to, I just wish they were dead, then you're a murderer. Have you ever lusted after someone? Man, they're hot, I'd love to be with him or her. Then you've committed adultery in your heart. Those were Jesus' words, not mine. This Jesus that everybody says, oh, he's loving and caring. Yeah, he also said those things. And when you look at this, he says, if you've, if you've broken one law, you're guilty of them all. That's how humble Moses was. Moses said, I agree. That's why I'm not going to the promised land. I get it. I broke one. I can't get in. It's fine. God's going to take care of me. I trust him for my eternity. I just don't get this life the way I wanted it. Moses embraced this. And then it says, what good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith from my works. You believe that God is one. Like, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe there's a big man in the sky. Wow, you do well. The demons believe that too. And they shudder. In other words, and you don't even shudder when you say that. You know, I believe in God. You don't even... And then you go do whatever you want to do. They're like, even the demons say, oh, we believe in God. And then they get scared. They're, they're a little better than we are sometimes. And he goes on and he says, foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. James is saying, look, faith and works work together, but you don't earn your right to get to heaven. You don't do enough good works like Moses did and say, doesn't that outweigh the time I struck the rock? No. It doesn't. This is what Galatians says. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. If you think that the law will save you, because Moses didn't believe the law would save him. 
He knew it wouldn't. He knew that the only Savior was God. That's what we just read that Moses wrote down. If God doesn't save us, we're in trouble. We can't save ourselves. I know I can't save myself. I have to let God let me die and believe that he can resurrect me someday. That's what Moses believed. He knew he was cursed because of what he did. Because it's written, everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law. In other words, we can't measure up. Because the righteousness will live by faith. It's the same thing James is saying. It's having faith that God says what he says and he'll do what he'll do. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ has redeemed us, that's Jesus, has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. The purpose was that the blessing, look at this, the promise, the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles. That's people who aren't of Jacob, who aren't of Abraham. They're not of the direct bloodline of the Old Testament. There's a new bloodline, and it's the bloodline of Jesus. It's his blood that was shed. And that's the promise. And he says, so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. God says, I want a different kind of relationship with you. I want a relationship where I come into your life and you respond to me, where our spirits are agreeing and where we're moving forward in a relationship in this world by faith. Not I've earned it. I deserve it. I don't deserve it. Those are not faith words. Those are works words. I expect this. I expect that. Those are works words. Versus saying, God, I know this is what you want. I don't know what to do with this. Help me. See, that's the faith that Moses had. That's the faith that we're called to as we look in Scripture. It's a faith that says, you know what? I can be strong and courageous and know that God's promises are true. Let me ask you. When you hear this message, what's your response? Does your heart grow hard and stiff-necked like the people of God? Were you, that's not me. And maybe these are things you've never heard before, which is unfortunate. Because we got a lot of people running around claiming to preach the Bible and claiming to be Christians that don't even know what it says. That, that, that don't give the whole counsel of God's word. They only give the parts that feel good. That it's all about a benefit here and now. Can I just tell you, the heroes of our faith believed in a benefit that was way beyond them an eternal, forever benefit that was worthy of their life. Jesus came and did that. He left heaven itself to come to earth, to take on bodily form, to die in our place. So that sin that Moses committed when he hit the rock, you want to know why he was saved? Because Jesus died for that sin. God paid the price for the curse Moses deserved so that he could be with him. Moses believed that God would someday pay the price. You know what we do? We believe, looking back, that Jesus paid the price. It's the same faith, from faith to faith. We look backwards, they look forwards. And we all look forward to the day when Christ comes back and we have the actual real promised land and it's all made new. That's the entire story of the book from Genesis to Revelation. It doesn't change. But when we sell a gospel that's don't you want this and don't you want that and if you just come to Jesus, you'll get this and you'll get that. When you read this book, you're gonna become very disconnected from this book because you'll find that the people that believe that theology didn't last in this book. They got slaughtered. The people that believe that God's blessings would come and trusted him and if I have them, great. If I don't, great. I'm gonna trust him for his ultimate blessing. Those are the people we read about in the pages of scripture. And that's the beauty of this book. 
As we wrap up and finish Deuteronomy, this is what God says to Joshua as he's getting ready to lead the people. Moses is dead. They've wept for him. They're broken. Now they have to get up out of their brokenness and they have to move forward. I don't know if you've ever been broken like that. But when you get up out of your brokenness, God calls you to move forward and he says this, be strong and courageous for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction. My servant Moses commanded you. The whole instruction, not part of it, not the parts you like, all of it. Do not turn from the right or the left so that you will have access or success wherever you go. This book of the instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you do you believe that? Do you believe that there's a God that wants to be with you wherever you go? And do you, if you do believe that, are you careful with where you go because you know you're with him and he's with you? Because if you know there's a holy God who loves you and cares about you, you don't want to run from his loving hands and his loving arms. You don't want to get too far from his reach. You, you don't want to just shove him away and run because that is devastating to you and the people around you. You want to stay close to him and not be afraid or discouraged. And he says, you're going to be afraid. You're going to have the tendency to be afraid and discouraged because it's a rough world. There's a lot of brokenness. There's pain. There's suffering. The question is, are, are we willing to be like the promises that God gave? God promised that there would be persecution. He promised there would be suffering. And he promised that he would deliver one day ultimately forever. That, that's the message of the book. Yahweh is giving you. Let me ask you, what do you want to get from him? He's trying to give you himself. He wants a relationship with you that supersedes anything else you could want. He wants you to know that he loves you and that he cares for you and that he has a plan and a purpose for the mess of your life and the good of your life. If you've not made that decision to trust this God, to, to climb the mountain, so to speak, in your heart and say, God, I'm yours. I recognize that I deserve everything I get, but I, I, I trust you. I'm willing to die. I'm willing to give up my life because I believe that you'll give me life in you. That's the message of this book. It's the message that Jesus modeled when he came from heaven and he died and came back to life and then transcended to heaven to say, will you go with me? Will you live the life I lived? 